on this national day, when a Viking remnant forms the centerpiece of things, one central question still remains. Why didn't the Romans come here? And leave us something. Something for the tourists. A stone road, perhaps, running through and up and over the hills. The remnant of some simple fort or forts, with traces of stables and toilets and barracks, with soldiers offering protection from the rampaging and woe-daubed hairy men from the north, from Andrus and Jerby, who might come at night shouting and crying out in a strange language. An aqueduct or two. But you might say that's or water over the bridge. They didn't come, and our island story, our tourist offering, is perhaps the poorer for it, but why didn't they come? Well, quareri femini, look for the woman. The woman in question being Boudica, or Bodicea, as we used to know her before we got all serious about correct pronunciations. The Roman general, Suetonius Paulinus, had conquered Anglesey, in the main, to do away with this stronghold of that very influential body, the Druids. But no sooner had he achieved that bit of housekeeping, you know it is, than Bodicea led a revolt in the south and started burning towns and slaughtering people, all very unsociable, though she would argue the Romans had given her cause. So Paulinus was off, Roman in the gloam, and he was off down there. But even after defeating the lady and her thousands, tens of thousands of followers, he had no time or, indeed, inclination to visit the northwest again. But had the Roman army made it across, we might have enjoyed the logistical organisation that other conquered provinces received. Roads, bridges, aqueducts, forts. Nope, we didn't get the Romans, but after waiting a bit, we did get the Northmen. the Vikings, and the most visible thing they left with us is celebrated today, here at St John's, the gathering, the Thingvala, or gathering field, that is Tinwald, and here at the centre of things, Tinwald Hill. For one day a year, that's the most obvious thing the Vikings left, a form of meeting place, which gripes and grudges and laws could be broadcast to the eager nation and settled, or more accurately, the most physical thing that the Vikings left us because they did leave something else which we use every day and may not even know it. Language. With me is Lois Foster, my colleague, uh, who he looks like the sort of chap who could come off the front of a <laughs> longship, waving his battle axe and storming up the shore. He's got yeah. that look about him. Haven't shaved for a few days, so yeah. Have, have you ever that. dreamed about doing that? Is yes, that I have, yeah, yeah. My uh, my hometown is Scunthorpe, or Eskumusthorpe, it used to be, so very well, north. In Viking times? Yeah, so in Viking you know times, so yeah. Oh, right. so it's in my roots. Does Scunthorpe actually go on about its Viking roots quite a bit? Does there it? are a few bits around around and about, yeah, but it's a, it's a, it's a mixed place as well, so uh, you have to look for it. Well, the first word that I've selected is particularly apt. What is it? Berserk. Now, that's a great word. I love it. Apparently it comes from bear shirt. Uh, now, this was a chap who basically at the centre of battle used to go absolutely ape and jump off ships with axes and slaughter anything inside. I suppose it's a terrible image, especially for those at the receiving end. 
I think um, a few people who play video games, the younger generation will know of Berserkers, typically characters as well known as Berserkers. I remember playing a few games uh, growing up, uh, historical games it's and stuff where you'd have characters like that. Great word, isn't it? The next, the next word is perhaps something that would accompany a Berserker, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, a club. Uh, now, the, the old Norse is clubber. Um, so basically, it sounds very much like it might have in the Old Norse, and it means, as you might have thought, a heavy, blunt weapon. And next word? Ransack. Ransacker is the Norse, and it means to search a house. And we use that all the time. If you're mm. ransacking a box to look for something, yeah, and or ransacking a house. I suppose it's typically not a... It sounds like to search, but we typically imagine it as a... For a thrashing of a house or something, don't we? When a, when a burglar's been in or something like that. But when it goes into the Old Norse, it's that edge to it, isn't mm. it? It runs sack. Yeah. Uh, b- berserk. It just has that sort of hard edge to it. Mm. Uh, and this word, the next word. Slaughter. Slatra. And it means to butcher. Uh, so that has, I suppose, a direct meaning to the Norse. It would mean basically... I don't know if it means to butcher animals, to eat, or to butcher human beings. Something a bit more sinister, sin- yeah. Interesting word here, this word I've chosen. Yeah, quite different to the ones we've said so far, litmus. It comes apparently from litmusi, uh, which comes from two words which mean dye and moss. Um, well, but you wouldn't have thought litmus came from that, but that's where it comes from. Uh, another word has a sort of festive ring about it. Um, yeah, yule. Which is, comes from, now this is J-O-L, so it's probably pronounced yol, I would imagine. Uh, with a soft J, and this is a pagan winter solstice feast. So this has come directly from the Vikings, basically. I presume, I don't know if they had Christmas trees and things. Or would have a Yule log. (laughs) It suddenly had a whole new ambiance to it if your your longship appeared over the horizon with a Christmas tree on its brow. (laughs) In particular, yeah. uh, They came ashore bearing presents. Uh, and, And this one, which has to do with winter as well, this next word. Yeah, skate. Which is scatter. Uh, which is actually, it's not skating about on ice, it's a kind of fish. It's a skate, as we know it today. Uh, and a couple more, three more, which sort of have a connection if you put them all together. This this next one is quite near to what it is now, to what we would recognise. Yeah, something I use quite a lot, actually, dregs. Dreg is the old Norse, and it's sediment. So the dregs at the bottom of a glass, if you mm. drink your glass of wine. Often say a cup of tea or something like that. Yeah. If you've got the, a split bag or something, you have the dregs at the bottom. That's and how I'd use it. deprecating as well, mm. isn't it? It's oh, the dregs of society. It's, it's a phrase that's used. This next word? Maya. Now, this is myrrh. Now, I don't know if it comes anywhere near the myrrh as in the uh, wise men arrived carrying myrrh, but it means bog, basically. And the last one's a good word, this, this one here. Rotten. And it comes from the old word, old Norse word, rotten. So there we have it. Quite a few words, more, obviously, than those ones. So those are an indication of how Viking words, uh, Viking terminology, basically has survived, although we don't really recognise it, until this time, down through the ages. The Vikings didn't give us an awful lot. The Romans left an awful lot. The Vikings didn't leave an awful lot. But they did leave us our language, and they do say, as goes the language, so goes the country. So the language is desperately important uh, to us here in the Isle of Man. So when you use words like berserker and slaughter, recall the words antecedents. I suppose when the Norsemen landed and made contact with the indigenous population, communication of some sort would have been very important, even if it was, OK, boys, we give in. Some years before, raiders from the sea had arrived in Lindisfarne 
after perhaps hearing of the valuable objects owned by the monks which were there for the taking and take them they did. But when word spread of that massacre, and it was a pretty awful massacre, probably exaggerated, though maybe it didn't have to be, it would have given any sight of a sail or sails unidentified coming from the east a terrifying aspect. Back then the glimpse of sails on the horizon probably would have caused panic. There may have been some resistance, but in the main there would have been little to stop the invaders charging up the shingle beach. Their progress would have been inexorable and stoppable. They were fighting men up against the villagers, fishermen. The Norsemen stretched their ambitions towards Europe and also to the west. The Isle of Man was in an ideal position to profit from trade between Ireland and the Scottish Islands. It was on the, the sailing route between Scandinavia and Ireland. And as today, it's a green and pleasant land, ideal for farming and settlement, very alluring to the new arrivals and arrive is what the Vikings did, we believe, for the first time here in 798. The Norwegians were thought to come down the Western Isles while the Danes came down the eastern coast of Britain. We still find in common use the Norwegian terms fell, garth and gill on this side of Britain. They soon found a small islet just off the west coast of Peel, ideal to develop as a fortified base. That became, of course, Peel Castle. As they consolidated control, they brought their system of Parliament, or Tings. There were Tings already elsewhere. The Tingvilia and the Logting and the Pharaohs. Uh, Ting means assembly, a gathering in which laws were made official. And ignorance of the laws wasn't an excuse. The people were expected to be at these assemblies and therefore be aware of any laws that might apply to them. Much is made of the reaction of those on the receiving end of this violent Viking expansion. But one would imagine it must have been quite an experience for those who had rowed round the north of Scotland. And some have tried to see what that was like. We'll hear from one later, one of the crew of the Odin's Raven that came from Norway to this island 40 years ago. But what was these Vikings' initial impression of this island? I am in a somewhat smaller craft than the dragon ship. I am sitting in a kayak and I'm below the cliffs that run from Brad Ahead through to Fleshick around the corner from Port Erin. Today it's uh, blue skies uh, and a breeze, the sea's a little choppy, uh, and a bit of a swell crashing waves against the rocks. But when these cliffs up above my head and they come magnificent, are shrouded in mist, they look truly forbidding, truly scary. Those newly arrived wouldn't have known much about this place apart from talks they'd heard, the inhabitants were what they wore like. Was there a beach where they could draw their boats up? If the fog was down, they would have been groping their way carefully up this coast. The crew, we, we get the impressions they were all fearless. Well, one or two might have been those that were left a little option but to leave home as there was no real place for them there. There was no land for them to farm. They had to go look for somewhere else. They may have been deeply apprehensive, scared even. Yes, scared probably. This is a mighty place. The cliffs are ponderous in their mass. The grasses come tumbling down their side. Presumably, 
they're much the same as they would have been then. There would have been as there are now seals. They're over there. There are guillemots. There's a group of them over there on the water. Basking sharks. I haven't seen any today. Probably they were around. Even whales, orcas, and lots and lots of fish. like uh, to sit in an open vessel for weeks in a sometimes violent sea. Well, a group of Manx and Norwegians know because they came together for the Manx Millennium in 1979, sailing a two-thirds replica of the Godstad vessel from Norway to the island. Robin Bigland, the uh, inspiration for the extraordinary voyage, was in the crew. Everything we had to do was to be done in front of everybody else in the crew. Obviously, because there's no cover, there's no internal, you know, it's a rowing boat. So, in order to get over that problem, they told us that we should, in fact, train naked. Because that got over any embarrassment that people might feel about, because you, you were concentrating on the training and getting the job done. And so, you know, I mean, the fact you were doing it naked was, was really irrelevant. I don't suppose that galley slaves bothered much about the fact that they were naked when they were changed, the, when they just got on with rowing. So, I mean, it, it, it was just a sensible thought because, you know, you understand that all bodily functions and things have to be completed in front of other people. But if you don't make sure that, you know, you keep yourself okay in that respect, uh, you'll get ill. So, I mean, it, and we were 31 nights at sea. So, I mean, you have to be sure that you train properly and the, nobody better than the SBS to do that and train you. So when you set off, did the romance fall away quite quickly and you sort of turned into mission mode, if you will, and started focusing on what you had to do. You're damn right it fell away quickly, because we were, no sooner we got down the, the field from Trondheim to, to the open sea, we got about 20 miles out, and the only vessel we saw, really, on the voyage, practically, because we were very low in the water, you don't see very far, was a fishing boat that came across to us, offered us some fish, and told us that they had a couple of sister ships that were making haste get back to a place called Erlesund, around Stad Point, and because there was a, a very large storm coming, and we were heading straight into it, so we didn't know that that was the case, albeit we'd taken a, obviously we'd, we'd tried to get some weather condition information, but you know, I mean, things were not like they are today, you couldn't just use your whatever equipment <laughs> such as we have today, I mean, all we had was a compass, which is basically what the Vikings had, in, in effect, they had a, a lodestone that would point north. And anyway, we, we hurried into Ullison and rode out, or able to ride out the storm there, but it was a serious one. So yes, I mean, we were pretty quickly disabused of any, of any romantic visions of sailing into the you know, sunset and all that kind of stuff. While for most people, the Viking connection on the island is a sort of miasma in the background to parts of their life, to others, it's a great deal more. 
At Peel's Mayfire Festival, Evolden, I found some locals who've taken the Viking connection very seriously, not only for the day, but in their lives generally. Timwood uh, is based on um, uh, the Vikings arriving on the Isle of Man. It's, um, it's how we came to have a lot of our laws that we have today. Uh, through the Battle of Sky Hill and um, obviously Godric Crowe that came to the Isle of Man. So when did you start doing this? Um, I'm about three years into this now, a bit of a late bloomer. Um, I went down to Timwell Day where we're out, we are every year and... Um, well something clicked? The, something I, I just inside said, you? next year I want to do that, so I started um, going along and joining in. Did you know anything about the Vikings before that? I've always had a bit of a keen interest, um, obviously it was something that I was I've drawn to naturally and then um, I decided to take a next step and start doing the living history side of it. And you've got the beard, you've got the long hair. I didn't Did you have started. that before? No, no, no. So you no. grew that specially? Much to my wife's disappointment, she's not a fan of the beard or the hair, but yeah. What, what are the Vikings, what did they do for us apart from give us a form of government? Uh, well, we've got lots of uh, different things that came through the Vikings. Um, uh, so we've got uh, some of the technologies that we've um, got today through boat building. Um, I mean, the seafarers, they were extraordinary. And of course, yes. I mean, yes. they just pointed the prows of their longships at the horizon and they never knew what was over the horizon well, in some the, cases. The te technology of the boats, the hulls were so shallow that they were able to go into shallower water which allowed them to get up into canals and streams um, where bigger boats from different, different um, cultures weren't able to previously. Can I ask you mm. sir, yep. you were also dressed up in, as Viking, as a Viking, would you have liked to have been a Viking? I would have liked to have lived in the area. Uh, in the area, in the era. It was a yes. bloody time, wasn't it? I mean, you had it to It was a bloody time for everybody. When you actually look at a historical record, they say, oh, the Vikings were pirates, but so were the Franks, so were the English, so were the Irish. So it, there isn't that much difference in the violence. It's just... Yeah, ask the, the priests on Lindisfarne in 793. Well, I mean, that, the, that is the other thing. You say, you see, a lot of the Vikings didn't have what we would look at as a written history. They had the runes, but mostly it was an oral history. So when the oral history was snuffed out with the coming of Christianity in the Scandinavian region, the only written history was by the guys they was beat the up. Was side, yes. Yeah, was by the monks who said, well, they're not very nice, they've come and hurt us. Yeah, mind you, they, it was fairly accurate that they did do yes, they, terrible things. They, the they did, did do ter terrible things. One of the big um, discussion points about why the Viking area erupted is uh, just before it did there was a large massacre of Saxons in Germany by Charlemagne right. and the Saxons were very close almost cousins to the Vikings. Charles the Great so this was retaliation of some sort? They seem to think it might have been I'm not saying it is I'm not a historian but what the Scandinavians saw was they're a much better army if they've done this to our cousins they're coming for us so we're going to turn to some sort of guerrilla warfare and we will attack what is dear to them. So they took out the churches and when they got there they realised how much gold and silver there was there. They thought, well this is a good thing. Because the interesting thing is, if you read some of the Irish annals where they attacked the monasteries there, they didn't destroy them. They robbed them, but they left them going because they knew if they come back in five years, they're still there so they can do it again. 
a wonderful history they've left us here on the island, didn't they? Absolutely. The island's caked in, in Viking history through names of places as well. Um, obviously, Laxey, the Salmon River, um, is a Viking term. We've also got Rumsey, some, isn't it? Rumsey, yeah, absolutely. Um, but obviously, uh, Viking castles as well, some of the structures we've got on the Isle of Man. Certainly, Castle Russian, the inner circle of Castle Russian, was Viking, um, and it kind of expanded as the years went on. Is there many of you, by the way? I think there's about 40 of us on the Isle of Man. You belong to a society you meet or what? So, so there's a larger society which is uh, based uh, in the UK and uh, they have people from all over the world, uh, Poland, uh, Finland, Denmark. Um, we all, we're actually having a massive festival this year, the largest there's ever been in the UK in June um, and it's called the Battle of a Thousand Spears. Um, and I mean that's that's not an actual battle that happened. This is uh, us having fun after the the COVID uh, pandemic yeah. shut us down for a couple of years. So this is a reenactment of what might have happened. Uh, Absolutely, at that time. yeah, yeah. But we do do the reenactments of things like um, Stamford Bridge, Hastings, and uh, that's all done through the the National Heritage in the, in the UK. Harold Hardrada, of course, is the great Viking leader. You haven't given yourself a, man, a Viking name, have you? Uh, yeah, yeah. So um, uh, Torleaf Gradak is my Viking what name. What does that mean? So a tall leaf is descendant of Thor, yeah. and um, the god Thor. The god Thor. A uh, modest start. Well, you've got to start somewhere, haven't you? <laughs> and um, Gradak is actually a, the Celtic derivative of my surname. So uh, my surname is O'Grady, and um, it was pronounced Gradak back in in the Celtic times. So, so when you come both. to these, do you actually live the Viking as a Viking? Do you feel? to be a Viking. Absolutely, when we set up a, a village, like small villages and things, we live completely authentically, so that's um, eating authentically, drinking authentically, we drink mead that we brew ourselves, and we have little com competitions what's, what's the internally. What's strength of that, curiosity? It depends on how you make it, so <laughs> I think um, the last batch I made was about 15 and a half percent. Um, well, it's fairly adequate. Uh, it'll, yeah, it'll oh. knock you down. <laughs> Are you, so what's your name? What's your Viking name? Storskoring Langstein. Go on, what does that mean? That means huge, long stone. <laughs> I was getting worried Standing there a bit. stones. I was the big standing there. That's a magnificent name. How did you come across it? Well, the wife gave it to me. Oh, really? I'm into megalithic architecture as well, so she said, well, just have a huge big stone. And it works out as store scoring Langstein. Do you think we on the island have enough of these occasions, uh, appreciate what the Vikings did for us enough? Um, no. I think is the answer. That's a simple answer to that, isn't it? Yeah. We'd, like, we'd like to do more. We'd like to do more. Like what? Can you think of anything? Knock over a church or two. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, education, no, school trips, yeah. stuff. I'd like us to have a, a like a, our own longhouse dedicated place where we could turn up yes. and and have our meetings. And there's nothing and like that in Ireland. Not, not a permanent. Not currently. No, no. no, no. There's, there's been talk. Hasn't there's there? been talk of one, and there's also I think a private one being built somewhere up north in Jerby. Um, and I believe he's going to be doing uh, educational walks through there, but I'm, I'm not too sure how um, in detail he's gone into the authenticity. I mean, something like in York, where of course you can actually smell the atmosphere if you yeah. go through the, the exhibition there. We don't have anything like that in the island, but that would be a good idea. Absolutely, and that's mm. what I like about the Timold Festival when we have the village, the Viking village at Timold. You go down, you can smell the fire, you can, you know, you yeah. can, you can smell everything that we've got going on, all the food, food cooking, and <laughs> it's. Yeah, it, well, takes you back. It, it gives you an idea of what it was like. On the seafront of Peel, you don't meet many people with Danish ancestry, but with me is Good Michael Goodrum. 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 And that's, what does that, that name mean, Michael? It means battle dragon. <laughs> and it was the um, um, title given to the leader of the Viking riding boats. So uh, he, he was the person who put together the riding party. And um, then 
uh, they normally shared the spoils between them when they went back. Can you trace your ancestry right back? Absolutely, right back to um, the original Guthrum, and um, it got anglicised and um, in, in Old Norse, um, it, it was a, like a, a hard, a soft T, Guth, but it got changed to Good. Good, good room. Yeah, yeah. I, I even know how the spelling got changed yeah. because uh, the D looks like the Old Norse letter F, which is TH, but it looks like a D. Have you studied other aspects of uh, Viking life? Well, only um, in that uh, um, I know about the original Guthrum, who led the great um, Danish army in uh, in the ninth century into East Anglia from Denmark, um, and um, caused quite a stir. Actually, got into a battle with a guy called Alfred the Great, and unfortunately got beat. Got gave off the worst. <laughs> yeah, you, you sound proud of your ancestry. Um, only because I suppose. Uh, it's an unusual name. Where, wherever I go, people say, oh, there's only two of you in the telephone book or, or something yeah. like this. Um, and um, about 50 years ago, I had a company trace the origin of the name and where the, all the, in, uh, the people who've got the same name are now around the world. And there's a huge concentration where the original Gudrum settled in mid-Suffolk, which is where my father came from. Are there um, other Gudrums on the island? Um, there was uh, when I had the book done 40 years ago, but not now. The book? Yeah, I had this book published, uh, um, researched, of where everyone with the same name was in the, in the world. So I could find out, um, I, had a, I had a map of uh, where all the relatives actually were. So, so you are proud. You don't put on the, the old helmet with the, well, they say, horns that was a myth that was a myth they never yeah. had the horns it was just pictured i think in one illustration and that it took off after that well it looked good but um, no they, but I, they are were you tempted to put the costume on and go down and join the other fellas on the beach no not really uh, <laughs> uh, maybe when i was 50 i would have done it. in fact i did have lots of friends who actually ran a company that did battle reenactments and we used to have parties in my garden um, where we where we actually uh, did these battle reenactments and that was quite fun the Manx experience of the Vikings is a blend of fact, as near as we can establish that fact, and folklore. The history of Godred Croven, King Ori, is predominant. Culture Vannin suggests that his position as a big man in figurative terms became associated with him being literally big, a giant. They relate the story of him hurling a rock from North Barul into Bulgan Bay. Apparently the rock made its way back up North Barul three times before, after being thrown a fourth time, coming to rest in the sea. And Kulchevanen also suggests he and Mananin have become intermingled. The best-known legend is that when he landed at the Len, the Len means the trench in Manx, he was asked by the locals where he was from. He pointed to the Milky Way. Now, the Milky Way was the way marker used by Norsemen when they were navigating at sea. So the Milky Way in Manx became Radmor Rigori, King Ori's big road. A maquette, a small model of a proposed statue of him pointing up, exists, looking for someone or some people to provide the wherewithal, the cash for a full-scale statue. It would be magnificent of the grandeur we lack in most of our statues on the Isle of Man. There's another subject that could give the island a great landmark, but more on that later. So the Vikings, nosing their way round the coast to the Irish Sea, arrived here at the island.
The Isle of Man has given itself an ambitious target of 500,000 visitors a year. If it is to pursue such ambition, it would do well, perhaps, to exploit the Viking connection. Just have a look at Netflix and those other channels to see the current attraction of the Northmen. Do we do our Viking antecedents justice? The Tinwald ceremony may have been brought over by the Northmen, but these days it's very much an English ceremony. Formal wear by MHKs, MLCs and those taking part. Ceremony is king. Here's a thought. Perhaps after each new law is read out and promulgated, all present, on the hill and indeed off, should throw their hats into the air and cheer, or throw their arms into the air and say hurrah. Perhaps also on the hill present should be someone, a giant in size, dressed in Viking garb with a two-bladed axe, a he or a she perhaps, in these times of equality, and should occasionally grimace and sneer at the crowd and issue a threat brandishing that axe, rather more effective than suggesting that the court is now fenced. Godred Croven fought with the army of Harold Hardrada, this we know at the Battle of Stamford Bridge. That was the one fought by Harold Godwinson, Harold King of England, before he'd heard that William the Bastard of Normandy had rather sneakily landed in the south of the country, pursuing his claim to the English throne. After Hadrada's defeat, Croven fled to the Isle of Man, where he had relatives, and then he disappeared for a decade, before reappearing to take control of the island after the Battle of Sky Hill in 1079. I mentioned earlier about another subject for a statue that would, I feel, impress visitors and bring pride to the heart of islanders. Now, there's a portrait in government offices of it's either King Ori or Mananin. It was conceived as a statue, but it never happened. How many things has that happened to in the island? I have proposed to many people that we place this statue once built of this god or king, holding his axe, all bearded and fierce, on a tall plinth, on the roundabout next to Parade Street Car Park, which is currently occupied by a pretty unexciting cannon and some balls. On the plinth would be written in English and Manx, Come on, if you think you're tough enough. The statue would be uplit at night, one of the most effective ways of improving the look of a building or statue, and would be one of the first things visible to visitors as they came out of the sea terminal. It would have the, gosh, look at that, factor. And it will be a very useful statement of the Manx view of its neighbours.